Thank you, choir and orchestra and men, for leading us uh, in worship through music this morning. Have you ever received a gift that you really didn't like? Maybe you received a gift and you looked at it and you thought, what in the world am I going to do with this? Now, chances are most of us have, and the longer you live, probably the more, time this, more times this will happen at some point in your life. Well, this past Christmas, Lynn and Jackie hosted a Christmas party for ministry uh, staff and their spouses. And as you know, no Christmas party is complete without a little game of Dirty Santa. And so we came with inexpensive gifts and eagerly anticipated who would go home with our gift and whose gift we might go home with uh, in return. And I feel a little bit sorry for whomever got the Bodman body spray that I brought. It might have been Lynn, I'm not sure, I don't remember. But I actually went home with a pretty good gift. I went home with a Deep South fishing basket. Now, some of you know that I like to fish, but this particular basket was not filled with tackle and lures, but it was, however, filled with something just as important when you're heading out on the water, snacks, (laughs) from beef jerky to pork rinds to spam to moon pies, butterscotch candies, this basket had it all. I could have done without the spam, but the rest of it was pretty good to me. To someone else, it may not have been any good at all. And you know that that that's the risk that you take, and that's part of the fun when you engage in this type of gift exchange. You may go home with something you like, or you may not. But when we buy gifts with a particular person in mind, we approach it a little bit differently, don't we? Because what we buy someone says a lot about how well we know that person and what we think about them, how much value we place on them. And the same thing is true of what we give God. The same thing is true in our worship of God. And we started a new message series two Sundays ago on biblical worship, journeying through the Old Testament book of Malachi. And we saw two Sundays ago in the opening verses of the book of Malachi that the continual love of God for his people is the beginning of our worship of God. In other words, our worship doesn't begin with us. It begins with God and his love for us. And our worship is a response to that. And even though God had had chosen and loved and cared for a people, the Israelites in the Old Testament. He had cared for them and protected them past, present, and future. They didn't respond with appropriate worship. They didn't respond recognizing the gravity of what it was they were doing as they approached God in worship. And this morning we'll see from the second half of chapter 1, Malachi chapter 1, that as the almighty God of the nations, Yahweh will only accept the very best in worship from his people. 
As the almighty God of the nations, Yahweh will only accept the very best in worship from his people. Look with me now at Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Malachi is the final book of the Old Testament. If you open your Bible about halfway and then journey several books, several short books to the right, you'll come to Malachi. If you've come to the Gospel of Matthew... You've gone too far and you'll need to back up one book. So the book of Malachi, chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. God's word reads this way. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Verse 10, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We believe that your word is true and that it is, in fact, your word and it is useful for all of us on every occasion for instruction, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness, Lord. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and clarity as we seek to understand this word and apply it to our lives today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, the first part of chapter 1 opened with the Israelites asking God how he had loved them. God said he had loved them. And they asked him, how have you loved us, God? Recognizing that they did not understand God's faithfulness to him to to them in the past. 
Really, they had no grounds to stand on in questioning God's love for them. He had chosen them. He had loved them. He had provided for them. He had protected them. He had cared for them in a way that he had not others. But now the tables have turned. And now it's God asking the Israelites to show their love of him by their actions. And he had solid ground to stand on because their actions were not revealing their dedication and their love to him, the love and the dedication and the worship that he alone deserved. And as we desire to see what this book, the book of Malachi, has to say to us as a church about biblical worship, we want to pay careful attention to this first accusation against the people of God. Because in Old Testament prophetic books like Malachi, the prophet often begins with the most pressing issue the issue of concern. And so Malachi jumps straight to the point. And basically he points the finger and he says, you are not giving God what he is due in your worship. You're not giving him what he deserves. And he blames who? He blames the priest in verse 6. Because the priests were the ones responsible for teaching this, for communicating this, and they had allowed the temple worship, the temple sacrificial system to dissolve into indifferent, selfish, and stagnant worship of God. And I want us to see three truths from this passage about our worship of God today. And the first truth is this. As as father and master, God deserves the best from his people. As father and as master, God deserves the best from his people. Look back at verses 6 through 8. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, remember this is God speaking, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now Malachi was a good preacher. He was a good communicator. Notice how he starts off in verse 6. He talks about these relationships. The son honors his father. That's appropriate for Father's Day, right? A son honors his father and a servant his master. And the priests that are hearing this would have agreed with those statements. They said, certainly that's the case. And then they would have expected a message or a sermon on these human relationships. And then what does Malachi do? He flips the tables he changes and, and, and he directs that message directly at the priests and at the people of God, attacking their spiritual worship, their spiritual relationship of God, because God is indeed a father and a master to his people. And this sort of reminds me of the Old Testament story in 2 Samuel chapter 12 of, of David and Nathan coming to David and approaching David after his sin. And if you'll remember, David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he had tried to cover up the consequences of his sin by by having her husband Uriah killed in battle. 
And so Nathan, the prophet of God, goes to David to confront David with the sin that he's committed. And he tells this story about a rich man and a poor man living in the same town and how the rich man took advantage of the poor man. And listen to David's response as David is hearing this story or this parable. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Those of you that remember that story know that Nathan then began to explain to David, based on what David had done, that David was indeed that man. David knew conceptually what was right and what was wrong, but he failed to recognize the sin in his own life. And the same thing was true of these priests that Malachi is confronting. They knew conceptually what was right and what was wrong when it came to worship, when it came to leading the people to worship Yahweh. But they failed to recognize their own sin. They led the people to just go through the motions of worship, giving God what was left rather than the first and the best. They were required to sacrifice to God the first and the best of their flocks and of their herds. Look at this, listen to this description from Leviticus chapter 22. Leviticus chapter 22. This is God's word in the Old Testament law spelling out what they were required to do. Leviticus chapter 22 beginning in verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them, If any of you, either an Israelite or an alien living in Israel, presents a gift for a burnt offering to the Lord, either to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering, you must present a male without defect from the cattle, sheep, or goats in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything with a defect. Because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, or the maimed, or anything with warts or festering. Or running sores. It's a pretty bad picture there, isn't it? Do not place any of these on the altar as an offering made to the Lord. And so these Israelites, these Old Testament people of God, were required to give God the first and the best from their flocks and from their herds. But instead, they were giving God the crippled, the diseased, the ill, the maimed. They were giving God the leftovers. They were giving God what could not be used for anything else. They were keeping the best for themselves so that they could could make the most profit, get the most benefit from it. And then they were giving God what was of no use to them as if it was somehow of use to God, missing the entire picture of sacrificial worship. And as a result of that practice, Malachi tells us that they were despising God's name. They were showing contempt for his name. 
In other words, they were lowering the standard of God and not only speaking against a name of God, the name of God, but what that means in that day was speaking against God himself. That's what a name represented. It represented the person and their character. And so by their very actions in worship, they were showing hatred for God himself. And to be honest, we do the same thing when we discount the seriousness of our sin before God and we look at something in our own lives or in somebody else's lives and we don't acknowledge it for what it is and we say, oh, that's not really that big of a deal. What we're saying is God is is not so holy and so perfect and so righteous and so mighty that, that he would care about something like that. But what we give to God And what we do with ourselves and with our lives is a reflection of what we think about God. When it comes to God, there is no neutral ground. We either honor Him by giving Him our best and our all, or we dishonor Him by withholding our best and our all for ourselves. And we would all, I think, agree that conceptually, that makes sense. What we give to God is a reflection of of what we think about God and how much value we put on God. But why such a big deal about these sacrifices? I mean, these animals were just put on an altar and killed. What did it matter if it was a good animal or a bad animal? Same thing, right? Why was God so particular about what they brought to him, what they killed as a sacrifice before him. And the reason is because these animals, these sacrifices, represented God's provision for the sin of his people. They were representative of God's provision of, for the sin of his people. These Old Testament sacrifices, this whole system was simply a picture that foreshadowed the perfect and sinless and spotless Lamb of God that would then lay down His life for the sins of God's people. Jesus, because He was without blemish, because He was sinless, because He was spotless, was the only one able to provide the ultimate and final an all-sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so these Old Testament sacrifices were just a picture, just a foreshadowing of this final, this ultimate, this all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because of that, God demanded the first and the best from his people. As father and master, God deserves the best from his people. Truth number two, repentance is the only option for those guilty of worthless worship. Repentance is the only option for those guilty of worthless worship. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple door so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. The only hope for 
for these people that had disrespected God and not given him their first and their best in worship was to seek the favor of God, to repent before God. And Malachi brings this out when he says in verse 9, now, immediately, right away, repent, turn to God, seek his favor so that he'll be gracious to you. And God is a gracious God. We should thank him for that. We should praise him for that. Because apart from his grace, these people had no hope. Apart from his grace, we have no hope because we're sinners in the eyes of God, just as much so as these people that were despising God through their worship. But God, because he's a gracious God and a forgiving God, he would much rather his people repent and turn to him and offer him Genuine worship, worship that is reflective of who he is. But if not, he'd rather receive no worship at all. And we see that in verse 10. Oh, that someone would just shut the doors of the temple if these people are not going to worship me as I deserve. He desires repentance or no worship at all. Now, we don't bring God animals for sacrifice today, thank goodness, because Jesus is the all-sufficient and final sacrifice that has to be made, the final bloodshed that had to be made for the sins of the people of God. But the principle is the same. The principle is that God is deserving of our all as we worship him. We give him the first and we give him the best. We give him our all. As the almighty God of the nations, Yahweh will only accept the best in worship from his people. And Paul got this right in Romans chapter 12 when he said, in view of God's mercy or in light of God's mercy or as a result of God's mercy, because of his mercy, his love toward you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so in response to who God is and what he has done for us and how we value him for who he is, we give him our all. We give him our lives. And we submit to his leadership, trusting in him to lead us to do whatever Whenever he desires and asks of us, because he is worthy of our all. He is worthy of our lives. The only option for those offering God worthless worship is to repent and turn to him and give him our all in response. Third and final truth that I want us to see from this passage this morning is that God will receive his due worship from the nations. God will receive his due worship from the nations. Look back at verses 11 through 14. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty, when you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices. Should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, 
says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. The reality, according to God's word, is that God will receive his due worship, his due reverence, his due respect, and his due obedience from the nations. And we spoke that together this morning in a responsive reading that we would join with the nations across the earth and we would join with the angels in heaven in declaring praise to God and giving him the worship that he deserves. And Malachi here, whether he knew it or not, was foreshadowing the expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ to include the nations. That because the people of God in the Old Testament, these Israelites had had not been faithful God took his message, he took his gospel to the Gentiles, the pagans, across the earth that they might know and believe this truth and experience salvation in Jesus Christ. The gospel has been and is being taken to the nations. And when we rightly respond to who God is through our worship, we join with nations. We join with all people from all nations and every tribe across the earth, past, present, and future, to worship and to glorify and to praise God, to give him the gift of our lives and of our worship that that he is due. Rather than giving him common or mundane or, or superficial or routine practice of worship like these Israelites were in Malachi's day, we're called to be devoted to God with our lives to come and to give him our all, to worship him for who he is and to respond appropriately to who he is. And if we don't, then we become like the cheat in verse 14 that deceptively, deceitfully, selfishly keeps the best for himself or herself and gives God the leftovers. As the almighty God of the nations, Yahweh will only accept the very best in worship from his people. As New Testament Christians today, or post-New Testament Christians today, I guess I should say, we worship God in spirit and in truth. As Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, meaning by the Holy Spirit and in Christ, who is the truth. Remember John said in John 14 that, Or Christ said in John 14 that I am the way and the truth and the life. And so if we're going to worship Jesus by the Holy Spirit, if we're going to worship God by the Holy Spirit, then then we approach God seriously in our worship, recognizing what it is that we're doing, giving him all of ourselves. Our hearts must be in it. We must spiritually prepare for worship. We must be honest with ourselves and honest with God, not hypocritical in our worship, not pretending to be something that we're not or pretending to give God something that we don't. And when we don't, we repent before him. Because there will certainly be times in our lives when we're not giving God our best. But thank God that he is a gracious God and he desires us to repent and to turn back to him and and to give ourselves to him again and anew and afresh. And to worship God in truth, as we said, is to worship God in Christ and to rightly understand who God is. And this is why, kids, parents, church, this is why we do Vacation Bible School I know some of you, especially some of you adults, are still recovering, even though it's been over a week since we finished VBS. And I know, I know the wreck is fun. I know the crafts are exciting. I know the snacks are delicious. 
But we do Vacation Bible School first and foremost because we want our children to know and be devoted to Jesus Christ, to know God. And we do everything that we do as a church, or we ought to do everything that we do as a church because we want ourselves and others to know God more, to be more devoted to him. And because greater knowledge of God and greater devotion to God leads to to greater worship of God, we do everything that we do, or we ought to do everything that we do in light of this book, continually look into the Bible to shape and to correct and to mold our understanding of God. Because we cannot rightly worship what we do not rightly know. But thank God that he has revealed himself to us in his word. And he desires us to know him. And that's why he's given us this truth. He's deposited this truth among us. And we should read it. We should know it. We should teach it. We should meditate on it individually and corporately as a church. So my question this morning as we draw to a close is, is do you know this God This God that demands and deserves your all. Do you know this God of the Bible? That even though he demands and deserves your best, he has given his all for you. He's given his life. He's willingly and sacrificially laid it down for us that we might be forgiven. That we might be right with him. Is this the God that you know? Is this the God that that you have come to know? And if not, I invite you today, right now, to cry out to him, to confess your sin before him, the whole reason that this sacrificial system was in place, and the whole reason that, that Jesus had to come and die on our behalf because we're sinners, because we've rebelled against him, because we haven't lived up to this standard. But he's provided a way. And he desires us, just like those people in Malachi chapter 1, to repent and to turn to him, to give him our lives. Turn to him today. Trust in him today. Trust in the bloodshed of Christ, the final and the perfect and the all-sufficient sacrifice on our behalf so that we would be able to be forgiven and to know God to fellowship with him in a right relationship and to enjoy him forever. Trust in him today. Surrender your all to him today. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is sufficient. And I pray that your word continues to instruct us and to teach us about what it is to know you and to rightly understand you in response to rightly knowing and understanding you, to worship you and to give you all of ourselves. So, Lord, we do that this morning. We give you our lives, whether that's for the first time or for the thousandth time, Lord. We are yours. We pray that this time has been honoring to you, and we pray that it continues to be so. And as we leave this place in a few moments, Lord, we pray that that our lives are continually devoted to you in worship of living a lifestyle that is reflective of of our relationship with you and and who you are and a life that values you because you are of great value. Lord, may you move among us now. May you speak to us. May you receive our praise. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.